Hey, what's going on? This is True News 365. Thanks for joining me once again. This is one that I've been wanting to uh, do a formal um, podcast on, uh, and I've mentioned it here and there in on my other podcasts, but I want to tackle uh, the issue of the unchurched church, okay? Because I constantly run into people who literally call themselves Christian, but their testimonies of going to church sound more like those who are rabid God deniers that say they used to be Christians and have suffered so much by the church. Okay, Christians themselves sounding like the world. My testimony very quickly has been that I've gone to lo uh, local churches for the past um, 40 years uh, and since I've been saved. And while I see issues here and there pertaining to normal humanity, squishy doctrine here and there, but nevertheless, nothing that even remotely looks like a church lady sketch, like the one from Saturday Night Live, or something from the, the show in Living Color. Okay? But many, many professed Christians are tooting the same horn as the world in describing the horrors of the church. That's not my testimony, and it's been 40 years for me. Okay? Um, I consider myself biblically reformed and theologically reformed, and I've been able to be edified in Pentecostal and semi-charismatic non-denominational as well as independent Baptist churches. I'm now part of an independent Baptist church being pastored by a non-denominational pastor. Okay? So, the reason why, uh, uh, the, the reason why is because I believe that church is about people. Okay? Under all that hype, it's all just about serving people for the Lord. That's actually the goal and the motive behind going to church. Again, I have to repeat that. That's actually the goal and the motive behind going to church. Okay? Is to... Um, serve people okay for the Lord right so Hebrews 10 25 the classic um, do not forsake uh, the assembling as many do especially as you see the day approaching um, it's speaking about the end times uh, the coming of Christ uh, in every age we should actually live as though God is coming tomorrow so this you can't really say that no well we shouldn't have this idea this um um, you know, rapture type mentality. Sure, if you don't believe in the rapture, but nevertheless, you should um, live your life as though God could come at any time. Because if you notice, we're living in times that are perilous, right? And times of great wickedness. And the wickedness seems to be getting worse and worse and worse, right? So even more so, you're going to need a body of believers. You're going to need to be there for each other, right? John 13, 35 this is the main thing that I want to focus on, and I'm going to be probably repeating this. John 13, 35 says, by, all, by, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the centrality of the reason why we need to assemble, okay? Because it's, it not only will the world know that you are true disciples of Christ if you love each other, but you can't love each other if you're not assembling with each other, if you're not learning from each other, if you're not being there for each other, if you're not ministering to each other, okay? Um, that's, I'm going to try to bear that out in the rest of this podcast. There's absolutely no other way in context of our current society to love one another and be right on with this command of God because that's what it is. It's a command as by assembling together with like-minded believers, Okay, you can't really prove to love one another as Christ commanded and be a, a, a lone ranger Christian. It's just impossible. A rogue Christian 
and, and I'm going to demonstrate this in this podcast. Okay. So examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith, the Bible says, right? A call to examine ourselves to see if we're even in the faith. How can we examine ourselves if not by the word of God? Let's read um, uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 4 through 5. Here Paul is speaking to a Corinthian church which were spiritually weak, and Paul is using the understanding that Christ has manifested the power over weakness in the flesh by the power of God. And we ourselves can live in that power also, and thus we should examine ourselves to make sure we're in that faith and that faith in, in that, in the faith of what God has already done. Okay? For he, if you read verse 4, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God, for we also are, are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Okay, so again, that's 2 Corinthians 13, 4 to 5. Okay, the weaknesses uh, here are in reference to sin, to falling, to meeting with persecution, temptations, and being beat by the world, the weakness and frailty we find in humanity, physically and spiritually. But Paul is saying, by faith, you'll know you're in Christ because you can examine yourselves and the fact that you still believe and through that faith, you can continue in Christ and conquer. Okay? The next question is, are we abiding in Christ? Okay? Are we abiding in Christ? Abiding in Christ means conforming to Christ as opposed to conforming to the world, as in Romans 12 and John chapter 15. Okay? And how do we conform to Christ? Okay? By utilizing what God has given his church, okay, as in Ephesians 4, in order to be edified and grow in him. That is the means of grace that God has provided, okay? He's given us the church, okay? It's something that he gives, okay? Let's, let's take this slow. The church is given to us by God. We're not the source of the church. Christ is. He gives us his body to come together in order to be edified, we're going to need to have spiritualized and understanding here in order to get this, okay? But too often, people don't see the church for what it truly is. It's a gift. It's for edification, for growth and sanctification, bearing good fruit, right? So consider Ephesians 4. From the very top of the chapter, it's talking about this union that God has provided for us, for equipping us and edification, which is the language here. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Unity in the body of Christ. Therefore, um, and start from verse 1. Is Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, 
who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led host of captives and he gave gifts to men. These are the gifts. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who ascended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, grow up in every way into him. We're growing up into him, who is the head into Christ, right? From whom the whole body joined together. He's talking about a group of people, assembly of people, okay? Joined together, held together. And mind you, he's speaking to an Ephesian church. He's speaking to a congregation. He's speaking to a congregation about congregation, okay? Together by every joint which is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Notice love is the end goal, right? How are you going to love each other if you don't assemble with each other? Okay, if you don't fall down with each other, if you don't pick each other up. Okay, that's the point. Notice that these offices are his giving to us. Okay, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all gain, attain rather, to the unity of the faith and the knowledge, you see, growing in knowledge, okay, the unity of faith, togetherness, okay, the unity of faith among a group of people, that's the language, and the Son of God to mature manhood, see, sanctification, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is the goal, to be like Christ, right? That's Christ-likeness, conforming to Christ. And within that congregation and assembling, there is the giving of the ordinary means of grace, which is assembling together. Prayer, okay? Being alone with God, time with God. Then you also got corporate prayer where the body prays together. There's repentance, right? There's fasting, meditation, praying without ceasing, as the Bible says, okay, in Ephesians 6. Okay, um, uh, reading, studying, and meditating of the word. This, is, will, this will be from the, the person, the teacher, the pastors. These are the ones that will equip, equip us with this knowledge, okay? To, um, being taught in the word via the pastors and teachers. Baptism. Baptism isn't just something that, that we do just because we do it, okay? Baptism is the open and public ordinance which symbolizes the, a new believer, a proclamation of one's death and resurrection unto salvation and the new life being born again. And we do that among brothers and sisters, 
right? Nobody baptizes baptizes themselves in their own home. <coughs> Excuse me, in their own um, in their own bathtub. Nobody does that. Okay, nobody baptized. I mean, I can't. I guess you can't baptize one and one and two and whatever. But this is the idea. He's speaking in Ephesians. He's talking about uh, the unity of of the the church and um, of the people. Okay, the new life being born again. That's what the symbolism of baptism is. Among people, you're making a statement of faith about yourself that you are now in Christ and you're reborn and you're resurrected in symbolism, right, to Christ, right? That's what baptism is all about. The partaking of the Lord's table is another thing that people take um, without um, really seeing the seriousness of it. I'll go deeper into the partaking of the Lord's table in a minute. But assembling together, right? Assembling, when you assemble, you can partake in the Lord's table, which is something a lot more meaningful than just ritual for memory or a tradition uh, to drink the grape juice and the breadcrumb. Okay, it means, it means um, uh, it's a means of God's grace, a symbol of great importance in the company of, uh, of other saints and in the presence of God. Again, let's take it slow and spiritual. Um, we're doing this in the presence of God and in the presence of saints, of fellow saints, right? This, uh, he said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until I do so with you in heaven. So this is a memorial of Christ's death and his shedding of his blood and his, broke, his broken body. This is a memorial that we should continue until that allotted time, looking into the future with Christ. It's a personal thing and a very spiritual thing. Partaking in the Lord's table signifies that we are united in Christ's death and burial and in the new covenant, which is signified by his broken body and by his blood, the blood of the covenant, the atoning work on the cross. Now, is that a big deal? It sure is. It's a big deal. It's not the same thing to partake in the Lord's table by yourself. It's something that was meant for the church uh, in, in the new covenant, the body of Christ, because that's how we see it in the Bible. Okay. The disciples were all there. And after Christ's ascension, the Lord's table continued among the church. As Christ said, do this in remembrance of me. Personally, when I partake of the Lord's table, I look back uh, to the time of Moses in scripture with the blood of the lamb being spread along the entrance and the doorways in every home of the people of God. That was, that was um, uh, the broken and bleeding lamb symbolized back then in the Old Testament pointing to Christ as the lamb of God who would later on be tore up for his people and protecting and freeing us from the power of sin and death. That's what happened back in those days, in Moses' day. The, if it weren't for that blood, the, 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 uh, the, the spirit that God sent to destroy would have killed um, anyone who did not have that symbol, that blood of the lamb on their doorpost. Okay. These things are incredibly deep and it can only be taken seriously by those who have a deep, deep relationship with God's word and a personal relationship with God. Okay. <clears throat> only saints who take the word of God seriously can fully understand these things. Okay. They're extremely spiritual and yet they're right there for us to see in scripture as a historical account. This is why um, church is not about us individually. It's about worshiping and collectively um, and, and about um, 
uh, about um, being Christ's body, which is us collectively. The body of Christ is all of us. Uh, and, and, and if you have a congregation and your congregation is only a congregation of two or a congregation of three, you know, people say, well, you know, we're no longer uh, the church in brick and mortar, no longer where we are the body of Christ. Well, you know, come on, we got to get the snow off you, right? You got to get the wind and the rain. So you got to meet somewhere. And if you got a congregation of 20 people, not everybody's going to always be happy with, you know, um, a bunch of uh, 20 people showing up at, at your house, um, uh, filling up the house at a certain point you're going to need some kind of uh tabernacle <laughs> you're going to need some kind of shelter so that's all the church is is the, the the assembly of god's body god's people meeting under a place where we can get away from the winds and the sun okay that's all it is so um we we have long since um wait a minute we we have long since since seen church as something that we do something that we pick that we decide to do that we decide where we're going to go or what we what we want in a church etc right but then uh the motives are often all wrong because we'll um go because our people are there our friends are there the music the entertainment or the food the gossip um the latest on, a, on some person or whatever uh what's going on and stuff like that um but very quickly um these things sometimes turn into you know what they're not supposed to and and something it shouldn't have turned into you know um and in truth once you take away all the bells and whistles for those who are carnal and worldly the assembly becomes excruciatingly boring and painful to attend why because you've been on a diet of sweets and artificial coloring and sweeteners all your life and the main reason for worship has been pushed to the back burner okay so um, it's no wonder these things are now boring. It's no wonder why hymns are now boring to you, okay? Because you've been used to the rim shots. You've been used to the thumping and the beats and the hand clapping and the tambourines, okay? You've been you've been you've been used to uh, 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 moving the neck and the hips and and you know, okay? It's a little different when you just centralize things. And I'm not speaking anything about gospel music. I love gospel mu music. I love all type of church music. I do like a lot of uh, some modern music and stuff like that, whatever. But I'm trying to make a point here that the furthest we go out, we step out in in the fancy, um, the the easy it is for us to lose ourselves in those things. OK, so um, let's see. Um, for those who are still carnal, taking away all those attractions makes worship boring and very unentertaining, mundane and more like a chore because the taste of sweet has left and now all you are left with is assisting others listening to people's problems helping people serving people that's opposite of a cool beat on the church drums and stomping on people and people stomping their feet and clapping hands while we just stand aside you know by side by side interacting less than we should not that i have a problem with you know church music but it's an addition and it needs to stay an addition or a side dish to corporate worship. We need to, it needs to have its place. Okay. Um, the incentive is um, the incentive to even go to church has changed. Okay. The motives are all wrong. There's no true understanding for why you're even there. Okay. But worship is everything. Um, worship is everything that is done in fellowship. The sermon is supposed to be worship. 
The singing is supposed to be worship. The corporate praying is worship. The serving is worship. Okay. And all in the name of God. It's not easy going from candy cakes um, to from, from pastries to steamed vegetables. Okay. But you'll notice when the motive is there and the drive to worship God becomes front and center, you'll find the sweetness in just a plain old worship. You'll start loving the taste of those fresh steamed vegetables on your plate and the candy will seem repugnant to your taste buds. You'll start to grow spiritually and shed the dependence of the worldly distractions and things wrongly called entertainment, okay, and and wrongly called worship. And if your church gets involved in, in any outside ministries within the community, all hands on deck. Are you making yourself available? Are you in line with the congregation, the pastor? Huh? So, I got to pause here for a second. So Ephesians 4 speaks about giving us pastors and teachers and counselors, right? For the edifying of the body of this, uh, for the sanctification and the building up of the body of Christ. Okay. A lot of people don't understand that the church is a gift. The church, um, the body, the shepherds, the teachers, the pastors, the counselors are the gift God has given us on earth for our growth, right? So why are we trying to grow alone at home? This is why it's incredibly important if you go into ministry that it's truly God who is behind one's growth into ministry, not just someone thinking that they have a desire to take such on, you know, on such a spiritual and important spiritual role. Okay, this is why also church discipline has to be in place because if a counselor or a teacher or a pastor isn't doing their duty, According to scripture, they must be removed. Okay, the scriptures is our checks and balances. This is the maturing process. Okay, if you're not assembling, who are you accountable to? Me, myself, and I, right? A lone ranger Christian. There are too many rogue Christians out there already. Okay, learning on your own, falling on your own, picking yourself up on your own. What about your brother's? And, and, and your sisters, what about those that need you? There are people that actually need your help. Okay, you're not making yourself available to God's people. And that is massively important because that has to do with what I spoke about, about um, doing the commandment of Christ. Okay, Christ says as a commandment, he says, love each other by this, you're gonna, they're going to know that you're my people. You can't love your people if you're not assembling with them. Okay. Um, like I said, you're not making yourself available to God's people, right? And that's how you have to look at it. They're God's people. God needs you to look out for his people, right? Oftentimes we think that we as Christians don't have accountability towards other people, but we do. We actually do. Or are, are you the only Christian, you know, Okay, God says, I have a remnant you don't know about, like he told Jeremiah. Okay, just when Jeremiah thought he was the only one, God says, I have 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. He'll always have a remnant until the end. All right, so sometimes people think that, you know, I'm the only one, no one thinks like me, whatever this and that. That's not true. What, where it matters most is that you have love and you give because that's what, that's what the whole... Um, 
uh, working um, the body of Christ is all about giving rather than receiving. But we're so used to receiving. We go to church, we receive entertainment. We get the cupcakes. We receive the attention. We receive the hellos. Oh, he didn't say hello to me. We receive the attention. You know, it's always been so me, 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 the concept of church, because this is what's been put in front of us, right? Okay. Like I said, he's always going to have a remnant until the end. Okay. And we, we're going to need each other more and more as like the Bible says, as the day approaches. Okay. Persecution is a lot worse when you're going through it on your own. Let me tell you. Okay. Our lives outside of faith is all secular. Our jobs, our schools, our neighborhoods. Okay. There we're going to be, we're not going to be the majority. And the more faithful you are to Christ, even less, even less, because you're going to stand out from even people that, that call on the name of Christ. All right. They're going to think that you're a fanatic. Okay. The more you love God. And it says in the Bible, the, the, the holier that you desire to be, the more you're going to suffer persecution. That's just how it is. Right. So we're in the world, but not part of the world. The Bible says, okay, we're supposed to have a heavenly and spiritual citizenship. But while here, we have a job to do. I often say if the Lord didn't have anything for us to do, he would have taken his disciples with him, right? But just as they had a great commission, we have a great commission because the need is still obviously here and Christ hasn't yet come back. The job hasn't, isn't over. So this is the time you're going to get to come together with eternal brothers and sisters in the faith. And you're going to pass up on that and, and regard it insignificant. That's not, that's not good. That's really not good. You don't, you know, that spiritual kinship is more valuable than earthly kinship. Okay. The word of God says when the Lord spoke about even selecting Christ over mother, father, sister, brother, that your enemies will be of your own household. People that you would never have thought to be your eternal brothers and sisters will be there worshiping with you. We have siblings. We have no idea that are out there. I hear people make so many excuses about not going to church, talking about the church is full of hypocrites. That's a classic one. Well, you're never going to find a perfect church. And if you do leave, or you'll mess them up. You don't want to do that. Okay. Because you're not perfect. Most likely you're needing much sanctification yourself and much discipling. But that's exactly what people calling themselves Christian don't want. Um, they don't want accountability. Oftentimes, nine times out of 10, the reason why they don't want to go to church is because of accountability. And of course, they're going to use all excuses under the sun. Oh, the tithe and tithe, they're stealing. Oh, the pastor's running after the, eh. you know, they're going to make all these excuses. Oh, I was abused when I went to church. Oh, they didn't understand me. This is what I hear all the time. Okay. But bottom line, what it is, is they think that they're going to go to church because somebody got to give them some either attention or, or, or something they're looking to get instead of receive. Right. Um, and that's the wrong way to look at church. Okay. They want a semblance of Christianity, but not the true thing. Okay. The true thing is serving and committing to Christ's commandments. Love one another as I have loved you, but they'll put up 
a lot of excuses not to attend church, not to step up in their community, not to get involved in proclaiming the gospel in the streets, hand out gospel tracts, not to help shine that light of that congregation as a city on a hill in order to get people noticing. Okay? If there's any way that you're going to prove your Christ's likeness to yourself and to others, it'll be by being active in a local congregation of diehard biblical God lovers. Okay? Now, while I know for sure that there are many making excuses not to come to church, I know that there are also uh, many poorly run churches because of bad doctrine, because of bad leadership, and people who aren't even truly called to teach or pastor. I recognize this. But these are things you can clearly identify from the Christians, from the, the scriptures themselves. Okay? So you'll know if these people are not in line with scripture. But in my 40 years, I've been, most of my church, the churches that I went to were very decent churches. All they needed was dedicated people to attend. Okay? It wasn't my experience that every church I've gone to, I've gone to maybe, I'm sorry, I've gone to maybe uh, 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 at least like 20 churches that I've gone through, either visited in the last, what, maybe 25 years or something like that. And, you know, they weren't the nightmares that a lot of people try to um, portray. Okay. But, but like I said, these are things that you can clearly see from the scriptures themselves to identify a good church or a bad church. But if you can find a church which is trying to uphold purely biblical truth, then we have to get involved. And in some cases, you can grow into positions of leadership in order to direct that congregation strictly biblically. You know, you can get involved and you can influence people, but you can't even complain if you're not willing to try. Some most, um, so most importantly, it's about contributing and assembling with a purely biblical and sound doctrinal church. A church that takes teaching from the Bible seriously. A church that isn't giving a foothold on things from the world that'll distract. Having mature and sanctified leadership, maintaining a presence in the community, serving the community, having an evangelist, uh, evangelist, evangelistic ministry, fishing for souls and declaring the gospel of the kingdom, strong leadership, which isn't afraid to preach Christ and the gospel of truth, good church discipline, okay, uh, a good teaching ministry that helps grow the congregation and not starve them spiritually, right? A congregation that is unspotted from the world around them and is conforming to Christ daily, okay? Um, uh, again, the checks and balances are in the scriptures themselves and an honest assessment of hermeneutical investigative study on what they teach and how they teach will give away how sound they actually are. Scripture itself takes care of all of that. Okay. Now, the biggest and most heavy reality concerning the importance of serving each other as Christ demonstrated when he washed the disciples' feet and said, do this for one another. And Paul said, greet each other with a holy kiss, not to quarrel with each other or judge one another, as in Romans 14, build one another up, and that's what the church is for. What you see is the world pointing to the church as Benny Hinn and womanizing pastors and stealing from the plate and mischaracterization of the true church of God. Okay, 
you can't argue that those who do such things, if they do such things, are true churches because their behavior doesn't conform to scripture. Only someone who who's dedicated to being like Satan, the accuser of the brethren, will dare call those Christian churches. They themselves will align themselves with a Satan. Okay, they're going to align themselves with Satan to call good evil and evil good and mischaracterize the Lord's church. I'm tired of hearing Christians um, talking about the church as if all churches are bad. You know, it's, it's very, it's actually um, very um, repulsive to see that. Okay, so these are people calling themselves Christian, but in their ignorance, because they themselves are void of discernment and biblical understanding, they'll side with the world and falsely accuse Christ's blessed church on earth. Okay, well, when they say the church, what church are they talking about? They're obviously not talking about the church that Christ is coming from that's going to be pure and ready for him. And we know that that will exist because that's what the Bible says. That's what the prophecy is, that God is coming for his bride. He's coming for his church, right? So the true church of Christ is silently doing for Christ on the earth and nobody talks about them because they're holding it down, loving their communities, serving their communities, but the professed Christians will side with the world to falsely accuse the real church. So then how can anyone who sees supposed Christian folk do unchristlike things and still call them the church? And those calling themselves Christian join the world in falsely accusing the church and comparing them to devils. And that's what people who don't want to commit themselves to Christ fully through his representation on the earth will do. They'll make excuses not to go to church to serve people. Because again, church isn't to receive, it's to give. And no one wants to give. But Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. How are you giving if you're not assembling and serving other brothers and sisters in your community. Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I'll give and freely receive, so freely give, said the Lord of glory. Okay? So that's where the heart is supposed to be with regard to the church. While many know enough to say church ain't a building, it's uh it's us, we're the church. But what good is that if you refuse to congregate with like-minded believers anyhow? The brick and mortars are simply to keep the sun and the rain off of you. Don't take it out on the bricks, believe me. The idea is congregate, assemble, grow, serve, preach, evangelize. It doesn't matter if you do it in a tent or in a 20 to a living room. Just do it in Christ's name. The first congregations of churches were in homes and they met wherever they could because they were constantly being persecuted. They were constantly on the run going from city to city. Okay? They had it really bad, and if they can be together, they would be together because there's strength in numbers. But many aren't doing that. They're just, there's no good churches out there. Right. That's an excuse not to serve, especially in times of spiritual warfare. And, we're, and we are indeed in spiritual warfare. Too many professed Christians are AWOL. They've turned their backs on the, blo- on the body of Christ. In closing, let's look at the gravity of the importance of being there for one another. Okay, because that's another way of saying go to church. Okay, Matthew 25. And this is deep. What the Lord says in this end time section of scripture, yes, it's a warning. Look at what he's telling the goats. And please concentrate and pick up on the gravity of the seriousness of the situation here. He's speaking to the goats. Who are the goats? 
The whole chapter is an end times warning. Let's read Matthew 25. But when the sun, starting from uh, verse 31, but when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was, in, I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you thirsty and give you something to drink? And when do we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison or come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you, in the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was stranger and you did not clothe me sick and in prison. And you did not visit me. Then they say they themselves will all will answer. Lord, when do we see you hungry and thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? Then he will answer them. Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away to eat into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life consider that the whole idea that is also used in end times language in other new testament scriptures of sheep and goats are similar to the separation of the wheat and the tares and different the different soils it's the same idea the same language of identification with those who are his and those who are not his okay the blending of the two groups and telling them apart, identifying them. These are not overt God deniers. We already know what their, what their end will be. There's no need to harp on those who openly deny God. The Bible doesn't often even talk about them. But many times when it talks about the ones that will be deceived, who do you think it's talking to? It's talking to the church. It's talking to those who call themselves by God's name, by Christ's name. But these are those who are among the sheep such that they need to be identified and separated from the sheep. Now consider the word of God where it has been written, judgment comes first at the house of God. 1 Peter 4.17. That's scary stuff. So what is necessary for those to take up the concern for the needs of the church of God, the true sheep, okay, to feed them, to visit, to visit them when they're sick or in prison, to take them in as strangers and invite them in with hospitality, which is a command in 1 Peter 4.9. It's also a command in, uh, you also see it in Hebrews uh, 13.2 and in other places, to clothe them. These are the sheep, the people of God who are to be cared for. This does, just doesn't apply to those in persecution. This is applicable to the treatment of the body of Christ in this age and right before he returns. Now let's look at Galatians 6.10. So then, 
while we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. This is a direct command to look out for the church of God, to take care of them, to bless the church. Again, I ask, who are the goats? The goats are the ones stand, who stand alongside the saved, the children of God, the body of Christ, because the Lord says, you did it to me when you did it to them. You didn't do it to me when you didn't do it to them. So then any professed Christian who aren't doing these things, even now when we're not even in persecution or among those who are, we have millions of brothers and sisters overseas who are suffering all the above, all the above mentioned in real time today. They're suffering. They're going through all of that. They're being cast out, put into prison, persecuted, starved. They're being sent out of their homes. <coughs> Excuse me. And if, and if the claim is these are the goats who don't know God, not the church. Well, most definitely they're not. They, they're am among those who are now numbered with the damned, who likewise did not regard blessing Christ through his people. How much more judgment wouldn't that fall on those who call themselves by Christ's name? As in 1 Peter 4.17, judgment comes first at the house of God. And those who call out, Lord, Lord, in Matthew chapter 7. Okay, but do people have needs today? They sure do. We have widows and orphans today also. We have poverty and homelessness and domestic abuse and all kinds of unemployment, single motherhood, okay? We have, um, let me see, uh, unemployment. We have um, the church can take care of these people. The church uh, adoptions and feeding and clothing and overseas much need to our brothers and sisters in over 40 nations currently being persecuted just because they're Christians. The need hasn't stopped since the first century. Okay. And in Hebrews 13, three, it says, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. We're talking about those instructed to remember those who are in the body. And so if you're in the body, we have to be as though we too are in chains and suffering with them. Loving the brethren is a command of Christ. We can't completely love the body if we don't assemble with the body in order to meet their needs and grow and sanctify with them. And we see Christ will judge those not blessing him through his body of believers, which is the church. I say that those who aren't assembling with their brothers are in danger of possibly not being the sheepfold, but of the goats again, aligning themselves with the world, trashing the sheep, speaking ill of the sheep, falsely accusing the sheep while listening heartily to the world as they continue hammering on God's church by mischaracterizing them. Instead of being the church of Christ, they sit back and judge wrongly the church. Behold, that's bad fruit. Stand by.
Yeah, that's bad fruit indeed, because the Lord is coming for a pure church. But those aren't the ones who are getting uh, much attention as being the church. Those are the ones who mind their business, are in their communities, are indeed visiting each other, opening up their homes for their brothers, feeding them. They're in their lives. They're involved, involved with them and proving themselves to be salt and light. But the world only uh, maligns them. They'll only mock them and cancel them and marginalize them. And the world can't hear about them because their cause is not accepted in the public square. Okay. And if y'all can't see how all these things are progressively increasing in our society, that's even more lack of discernment. That's being asleep. That's being unsober and foolish. Let's read our Bibles and commit ourselves to Jesus Christ as Lord and be doers of the word and truly be salt and light and assemble. Because there's strength in numbers. Okay, so go to a church, a biblically faithful church. Don't listen to the world. Follow Christ and serve God's people who are the body of Christ. When you love them, you love yourself because you're in the body also. And the church was given to us from God when we give to others. And to us, we give back to God in Christ as sacrifices of ourselves. Okay, so that's pretty much enough said. Until next time. Thanks for listening to True News 365. Check out truenews365.com and share if you care. And God bless. Until next time. Take care. Thanks again for listening to True News 365. Check out truenews365.com for more podcasts, blogs, resources, commentary. Check me out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Telegram. And until next time, let's keep the faith moving forward and ignite the power of truth with the word of God to our neighbors and the rest of the world in Christ's name. God bless.